Hello, I'm Brandon Martini, a commercial pilot and flight instructor. And I'm Carson Vasquez. I'm a private pilot. And you're listening to the Aviation Mentors Podcast, sponsored by Stratus Financial. So buckle up, because the Aviation Mentors are taking off. Welcome back to Aviation Mentors, everybody. Today, we're talking about a problem that a lot of pilots face uh, when purchasing an airplane. Uh, Getting it home. Uh, Not everybody who's purchasing a plane is buying one close to them. Some are buying planes from all the way across the country. Uh, The struggle for a lot of pilots is getting that plane back. Uh, Many of these pilots decide to hire a a ferry pilot to ferry their plane due to distance, unfamiliarity with the, the airplane, insurance, or they lack the rating or endorsement to fly that airplane they just bought. Um, there's also a, a handful of other reasons why people hire a ferry pilot. Sometimes they just don't have the time to go get it. And I know a lot of people don't even buy an airplane unless it's really close to them. And often they won't even get a very good deal because of it. Um, so I tell people, yeah, buy an airplane anywhere across the U.S. I mean, it doesn't really matter unless it's like impossible to get. So if you buy it in like a, a snowy place or something in the middle of winter, that might not be that good of an idea. But honestly, if it's in um, any other state, just fly it home. It doesn't matter. Um, you need those hours anyways. So make sure you do that. Yeah. Well, here's my perspective. I have 200 hours and I've flown about 10 different types of airplanes and I've never owned an airplane. So to me, that kind of flight is getting the experience uh, to fly an airplane that I now own. That's just something I wouldn't want to pass up. Uh, I can understand that everything you just said that, you know, there are reasons where people will not want to fly their own plane home, but could you explain why people would want to ferry it and choose to ferry it as opposed to doing something that I, I know you've done, which is fly as a CF, like fly with a CFI who's competent in that airplane to fly it with them and instruct. So why would they just have someone go and ferry it instead? Yeah. And just let me clarify, like we're using the word ferry in a way of like getting your airplane home, like hiring a pilot to get it home. A lot of people think of ferrying an airplane as like getting an airplane that's unairworthy, like move and asking for like a ferry permit, which we've talked about from the FAA. We're not talking about that. We're talking about like just getting your airplane home. So a lot of people get those pilots mostly because they don't have the time to do it. I've hired ferry pilots before uh, when I bought an airplane. So it's mostly because I don't have the time to go get it. Uh, Like my Cessna 120 I got uh, recently, two reasons. (laughs) I didn't have the time to go get it because it would take a long time. And number two is it was really slow. There was zero chance I want to fly that thing from Florida, California. I did that in the Icon and that was long enough for me in a 80 knot airplane. Yeah, there's two guys that flew back that 120. Remember how long that said that flight was? I think it was like 20 something hours. Yeah, it was over 20 something hours. And we should have them come on the podcast one day and talk to them because that was a really long flight for them. And one of them was even a student pilot. He went with a CFI and and got a whole bunch of tailwheel time. So it's kind of cool. But yeah, a lot of people have never flown across the country. So they're a little nervous to do so. They've only flown like cross country, like or 150 nautical miles or something, like whatever it took for them to get their private. Now they just fly locally around, right? So a lot of people do that. And also, I just helped somebody recently. They bought a multi-engine. They bought a Seneca, and they only have a single engine land uh, rating. So I had to help them get that. Same thing with if you buy a seaplane or something like that. I know there's a handful of people that buy a new airplane, and then they learn how to fly in it. So it's it's really a kind of a neat fun experience of learning how to fly your brand new airplane and flying it across the country. I get it. It is a cool experience. It's not one that I'd want to pass up, Um, but I do understand everyone has their own reasons for hiring a ferry pilot in order to get that done. So speaking of hiring that ferry pilot, how much is it going to cost to hire a ferry pilot? Uh, I know it's based on distance and probably experience, but how do they figure out how much that costs? 
It's usually based on a day rate. So it doesn't really have to do with the distance. It has to do with the day rate and the type of airplane. Because somebody flying a Gulfstream or somebody flying a Cessna 120, those two people have a very different skill set. They also have different requirements on what it takes to be current, things like that. So somebody flying like a Gulfstream, it might be several thousand dollars a day. I don't even know how much it costs, so don't quote me on that. Versus like a Cessna 120, it could be $200 a day up to $1,000 a day. It kind of depends on the skill level. And if that person is insured, do you have your own insurance? Like you can ask a whole bunch of questions and they will change the pricing on everything. I would get somebody who's insured, who's flown that airplane a whole bunch if you're going to hire them. Don't just get somebody who said that they're going to, or they've flown it back in the day or, or they have experience with the airplane. Like how much experience do you have? Ask them some more questions. I know that I flew that Seneca back with a friend of mine uh, recently, and he needed to get it back to his airport because there was no hangar space at Riverside. He needed to get over to Flaybob Airport, and he found somebody who could help him, and he asked this guy to help him, and it, it was like he hadn't flown that multi in like 10 or 20 years. Maybe he was experienced, but he wasn't experienced recently, and basically, it was pretty difficult for that person to fly that airplane, especially a high-performance airplane that, that was only like three miles away flight like it's everything's going to come up extremely fast and you have to slow the airplane down a lot quicker and uh and fly it a little bit different so i would say do your homework ask the people some questions um most of them don't have their own insurance so you're just going to have to add them on the policy or see if they comply with the open pilot clause on the policy uh which is really what most people do most people get an insurance policy and their agent will give them the open pilot version of that policy and that's how they will comply with insurance requirements. Cause that's what I did. Like nine out of 10 people, they ask me, Hey, do you have all the hours stuff? Yeah, I've got this, this, I check all the boxes and they're like, okay, you're good to fly. And that's how most people will ask me, but you never know. And, uh, as far as going about finding the right pilot to ferry it, it's aside from having, you know, insurance or, or whatever it takes for, for your own personal reasons, how do you go about finding the right person to go and fly your airplane as, as far as our requirements and experience, like, like, what are you looking for? in that person. I, I know it's, an airplane is one of the first jobs a commercial pilot can really have. It, it's, um, it's pretty publicized on that you know, list of what you can do with your commercial pilot license is going and ferrying airplanes. So is that really plausible and feasible for new pilots? Is it plausible? Sure. Anything's plausible. Is it feasible? Is it smart? Is it any of those things? No way. No, I would never hire a brand new commercial pilot to go ferry an airplane for me ever. I don't care who they are. I mean, I take that back. If there's somebody who has a ton of experience and they just happen to get their commercial really late, but like a brand new 250-hour commercial pilot that has only flown two types of airplanes in their life, a Cessna 172 and a 152, or they've flown a 172 and a, and a Diamond a couple times, like there is zero chance I'm hiring someone to fly that across the U.S. They don't have any cross-country experience. They don't have any real-life weather experience. I mean, some people might. Like most people, they have their own little bubble of the microcosm of weather that they're used to. They don't have the, the skill set. They don't understand like, hey, things may go wrong on the trip. How do I get it home? So those less experienced pilots and ferry pilots that you may hire, they're just going to leave your airplane there and be like, ah, screw this. I'm going home. I'm going to hop on an airline. I'll get paid later. Of course, he's got to pay me. By the way, I wouldn't pay that person if they just leave your airplane. But yeah, a good ferry pilot will like know what to do if something goes wrong. They'll go and seek out maintenance to go help you. If it's an owner maintenance thing or a, a pilot maintenance thing, they will get that done themselves and they will just get it home. They will do whatever they have to to get that thing home. So you really need to 
ask for referrals in like your industry. I know for me, I'm really well known in like the PA32 groups. Um, I've flown a lot of Saratogos, a lot of Piper Lance, a lot of Cherokee 6, 260s, 300s. And you can go on like those Facebook groups and a lot of people will recommend me because I know those airplanes really well. and I know how to get them home. And um, I'm also a CFI. So if I'm CFIing for you as a ferry pilot, by the way, I'm going to charge more because if I'm just flying an airplane, I'm flying an airplane. I put on autopilot or if you don't have one, I'm just flying it, right? If I'm a flight instructor and you're expecting me to give you value as a flight instructor, that's going to be a little bit higher cost because now I'm really going to be working really hard and I'm probably not going to be able to fly as many hours because I'm going to be talking constantly the whole time, teaching you about the airplane, how the airplane works, everything about it. So keep that in mind when you're trying to hire a ferry pilot as well. Oh, uh, Mr. Experienced Ferry Pilot. Uh, I know you've flown you know, plenty of these kind of planes before, but between brokering them for, for people or just return that kind of favor, or that people seek you out like in those Facebook groups like you were talking about. Aside from the planes that you're really familiar with that you fly all the time or you've ferried before, how do you know what to expect from an airplane that you've never flown before? Uh, usually when you're going to go fly, you have to get checked out and figure out how to get that done. But when you're going to go ferry a plane, if you haven't had experience, what's your, uh, your SOP for that? Well, uh, the term checkout is for student pilots. It really is. Um, everyone, or for insurance companies, there's insurance checkouts and there's rental checkouts, and those are checkouts. As a private pilot, as a commercial pilot, as a pilot who's certified, you're not required to get checked out in those airplanes. If you don't have time in them, I would recommend getting checked out, quote unquote, but that really means just fly with somebody experienced and know what you're doing. So if you already know what you're doing in a PA32 or a Cessna 172 or Baron or, or whatever it may be, an Aerostar, et cetera, then I would say I would say just you're able to go fly that airplane. The only thing that you'd really need to know is are you competent with all the avionics? Like are the avionics something that you're used to? Do you know how to use them? If you don't know how to use them, I would study them before. And if you've never used them, I wouldn't take that job. Like if something has a G1000 and you've never flown a G1000, you should not take that job flying that airplane because your eyes are not going to move quick enough. You're not going to be able to handle an emergency quick enough, things like that. So the term checkout just refers to getting checked out and knowing how to use all these avionics, mostly knowing how the airplane's supposed to fly, knowing the speeds of the airplane, stuff like that. But you asked me, uh, like, how would I go about like actually flying that airplane? Um, what would I expect from an airplane I've never flown before? I would expect it to be airworthy. <laughs> um, that's a big one. So I like to look into um, all the, the maintenance of it before I even fly it. Um, I make that a condition that I tell the owner. I tell him I am going to not, I'm not going to fly this airplane unless I've looked at the maintenance records and I am satisfied with them. I'm also not going to fly the airplane uh, until I've looked at it and decided that the pre-flight is adequate and that the airplane is safe to fly. I want to make sure that I am safe. Uh, if you're flying with me as the owner, I want to make sure you're safe. Um, because there's a lot of backyard mechanics that just kind of, they call it pencil whip. They just write in whatever they need to, to make the airplane quote unquote airworthy. And that's just not okay for me. I want to make sure an airplane is really safe to fly. I have a lot to live for. And so does the owner of that new airplane. So we want to make sure that somebody knows all about it. And I'm going to be that expert before we take off. I know how to pre-flight an airplane really well. I'll take off cowlings and I'll look inside. I want to really look at that airplane. I'm not just going to do a, a little quick 10 or 15 minute walk around like we do on a, a normal pre-flight. I'm going to do an in-depth pre-flight that takes me an hour and I can normally do one in minutes. So I'm really going to look at that airplane. I really want to know all about it. And what else should I expect? 
I'm going to expect things to break for sure because this airplane people don't get don't worry about like fixing little things on an airplane that they don't want anymore like if you are overflying an airplane or you're only flying a couple hours a month and the cigarette lighter stops working so you can't charge your phone anymore are you going to get that fixed probably not you're probably not going to even say anything so i'm always going to expect things are going to be broken when i get in them like little things like that i don't expect like avionics to be broken but i expect little things to be broken i expect there to be squawks so every time i ferry an airplane i normally get anywhere from like 5 to 20 squawks on the way home um and if there's an airway in a squawk then i either don't take off or i land it kind of really quickly and i make sure that we go and get that fixed before i even bring it home so i expect the unexpected constantly you know, there's a lot that goes into the maintenance on it, and it's something that I really haven't been concerned about. Um, all the planes I've flown have been uh, been maintained by Rich over at Kavu, so it's not really something I think about too much. Um, you keep bringing up these these backyard mechanics, and that's definitely something that's a little bit uh, makes me a little nervous because these planes are flying just like yours are, and all these planes that you know you don't know who's maintaining them, and uh, you really don't want these things falling out of the sky. But there is a lot going into flying these airplanes. And one of the things, aside from the plane, is the environment and how you're going to get to where you're going. So how do you plan a flight across the country? Uh, I know it's a huge question to ask, but that's a real cross-country flight as opposed to you know, the FAA minimum for a cross-country of 50 miles or, or so. Yeah, absolutely. So flying cross-country across the U.S. is flying just multiple short cross-countries. That's all it is. You're flying, uh, You're just flying multiple three-hour flights. Or you can fly multiple one-hour flights. It doesn't matter what it is, what you choose. Some people like to do five and six hours, but my bladder doesn't last that long. So I stop every three to four every single time. Uh, So flying a a real cross-country flight is I kind of look at the overall picture. Like in which direction do I want to go? So if like I flew from, uh, I got hired to fly a Saratoga from New York here. So we decided that we need to fly from, obviously from all the way near New York, all the way to California. So we know the general direction we need to go southwest, (laughs) but we didn't know the exact direction we'd be able to fly based on weather. So if we flew due west from where we started out, we actually would have hit a bunch of weather. So we actually had to fly south about two hours just to kind of clear all that weather. So we got, so basically I looked at the entire, I looked at like the METAR map, but on four flight, it gives you, it tells you where's red, where's blue, and then it's either green or nothing. So I look for either the green or nothing. I start mapping a direction in that way. And then I kind of, I zoom it in and I start looking at micro, I'm going to call it micro cross countries, which is like 300, 500 nautical mile cross countries compared to looking at it from zero all the way across the entire US. Um, So that's something I look for when I'm starting to plan. But basically you start off with the larger portion and then you you scale it down it's funny you called a micro cross country and those are uh, some of the longest cross countries i've been on so there's there's a little bit of difference in experience there but you know since you are so full of stories can you tell me about one of your favorite ones or most interesting ones where you've ferried one of these airplanes and can you tell me how it got set up um, and how the flight went yeah so um, i've done quite a few of these these cross country ferries one of them i want to talk about the new york cross country but i'll do that on a different day um, I think that was a really kind of impactful trip for me because it kind of checked off a bunch of like bucket list items. So I'll talk about that on a different flight for sure. I bought a an airplane called Five Zero Whiskey. That's the last three of its tail number, and uh, I got a really good deal on it. I mean, I got a smoking deal on it. Um, I bought it for like nine thousand dollars. 
or $8,000, something ridiculously cheap. That's the price range I'm talking about. When the last episode talked about like price of a bike, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that was the price of like a really nice bike, actually. Like if you want to get like a cross-country bike, it was probably about that. Um, it did have some problems. It hadn't flown in like two or three years. It needed an, an annual done on it, and it needed a, a carburetor. Those were kind of the major squawks that I knew about. And uh, it needed a couple little things too. So when I first looked at the airplane, I expected it to kind of be bad, right? And I get there, and I'm like, oh, this isn't that bad. Nothing's really wrong with this airplane, except for uh, when I got to go look at the airplane, I got there with Rich. There was ice all over the wings, frost on the windshield, because it was like in winter in Seattle. It was like very, very cold. <laughs> wasn't frozen everywhere, but it was pretty bad. I went to go sump the fuel and I drained like eight gallons of water out of each side of the tank. Like it felt like water was just coming out forever. Um, so that was pretty crazy. And then we got brand new fuel in it. We emptied out the old fuel, put a new carburetor on it. So we knew the carburetor was bad uh, before we even got there. Um, we did that and we started it. That was part of our like pre-buy inspection before we bought it. Want to make sure, hey, does this thing start? <laughs> And the answer was, yes, it did. And then we started checking into everything else. It needed a battery. We got a battery for it and needed a few other things. And then Rich and I worked on it for like a week um, at, that, uh, at the place where we, we ended up buying it uh, after we found out all the squawks. Uh, we ordered all the parts uh, from Aircraft Spruce and had them like overnighted shipped up to us. And then uh, Rich basically worked on it. And I think we had one other mechanic helping as well. Uh, and we got it. So it was airworthy. It was like, perfect. This airworthy airplane, finally. And then I left it for like a month. I had to leave it up there. And then me and a guy who I used to work with, his name's Louis. Uh, he now works for uh, Hawaiian Airlines, actually. Uh, we'll have Louis come on the podcast one day. He'll be, he'll be fun to talk to. He's, uh, he's a great guy. And, uh, and me and Louis went up there and uh, we actually flew. I had to break in the engine on my Aero. So we took two other guys uh, with us to Seattle. And it was all IFR and gloomy after, right after we got up there. But, but it was like freezing levels were too low to even fly IFR. So we got up there and in the Arrow, we had to fly at like 2,500 feet the entire way up from Southern California all the way to Seattle because we we're breaking in this engine and we had to keep it kind of low so we, didn't, so we can break in the cylinders. So we flew like 2,500 feet all the way up there. And on the way back, they were actually able to fly back a little higher, which was nice in the Arrow, but they left me and Louie behind. <laughs> So me and Louie were flying in, the, in this new Cherokee 160, Five Zero Whiskey, and uh, we ended up flying that and making a bunch of stops along the way. And part of that trip actually, oh, actually, I forgot one part of that trip, which was really cool. Um, me and Rich went up and we were doing that annual on it, but we had some downtime. So him and I actually went to Canada and we got some poutine in Canada and uh, we took some pictures next to some like Canadian statues and like it was, it was a blast. We had a really good time. And Rich got stopped at the border because he had his tool bag with us with like all of his tools. And they're like, what are you bringing these tools in for? Like, we were going to go like steal cars or something. I was like, we just worked on some airplanes. We're buying, I just bought an airplane. They're like, you did what? And they're, they're looking at us at the border. Like we are absolutely nut jobs. Um, what are you talking about? You bought an airplane and you're working on it before it goes home. Like, what is, what are you guys doing? But after they realized, oh, they have pilot certificates or they have pilot license, whatever. Um, they ended up letting us go into Canada and we had a good time for the day. And then we came back and uh, that was really part of the fun, right? So that's a little backtrack story. Sorry, I forgot to add that. Um, but then me and Louie take off in this airplane and this airplane hadn't flown in years, um, years and years. And I wasn't sure how it was going to fly. The, <laughs> the flaps were a little different. Oh, the trim is really different. You actually have to like spin the trim on the roof. So I was like, oh, that's odd. I've never used trim like that. 
So we took off and I was like, well, let's go. And I've never flown to Cherokee before. So that's probably not the best idea. Um, actually, maybe I flew a couple hours in a, in a Cherokee 180. And then I flew in the Arrow. So I guess I had time in a, in a Cherokee. It was just, I hadn't flown this Cherokee. So this was kind of one of the first times I ever flew an airplane where I wasn't, as Carson said, checked out in it, right? This was like one of those first times. And it kind of is what it was, but Louie and I took off and, and uh, the plane flew great. We did some laps in the pattern, we came back and landed, and it was fantastic. I don't know if we took off that day or what day it was next, but we might have stayed for another day. And we, we left and we went to California. We made it back an entire day. It was a really long day, but uh, we took off. We landed at, at some airport that was super windy, um, just on like a cliff uh, overlooking the ocean. It was beautiful. And there was a bunch of like firefighting helicopters and airplanes flying in and out and FedEx was flying in and out like quick turns. And it was kind of neat to watch. And we were checking out some FBOs on the way. And then we stopped in, uh, in Bakersfield or Fresno. And then we finally made it home and we got the airplane home. And that was really my first time I ever ferried an airplane, but I ferried it for myself, obviously. Um, and that was, was really kind of a, made me feel really good after I got it home because it was really one of those really long cross countries. It was full of excitement. You didn't know really what to expect. I didn't know what to expect. Louis was long for the ride. He didn't know what to expect. And he, I think, I don't know if he needed hood time at the time. So he might've been getting hood time too. It was, it was a really cool experience. And, uh, and just thinking back and like telling this story right now, even though it's a little bit out of order, it just makes me remind me on like how much fun stuff like that was and how I kind of miss doing that. I haven't done stuff like that in a while. So whenever I get the opportunity to ferry airplanes, it's really a fantastic experience that I, I don't take for granted. That's cool. Uh, one of the things that kind of kind of sucks about a podcast is you can't see like just the the joy on Brand's face as he's talking about you know one of his first big flights. Uh, it, it's really cool to to hear about and talk about. And yeah, you know, before you fly around and get the hundred dollar hamburgers, first task for a pilot who just bought an airplane is figure out how to get it home. Uh, as an airplane buyer, ferrying that plane it's a good way to save time and effort, and it's one of the options for getting a plane home if you aren't rated or even comfortable flying it yourself. Um, or being a, a commercial pilot and having that certificate, it's a pretty good job, especially when you have the experience and you have the time and you're willing to put in that time and effort. It, it's a really great job to kick off your your flying career and start making that money. Yeah, it really is. But like I said, I don't think that anybody should start doing that. No commercial pilot, brand new commercial pilot should start getting paid to ferry airplanes unless maybe you get a 172 that's like the same exact model that you learned to fly in. Like that might be the exception to it. But it is something that after you get enough experience, in my opinion, after you get enough experience flying different kinds of airplanes with other owners, go fly with other owners. Like go find people who have the airplane that you really want to fly with and go fly with them. Go do it for fun. You don't even have to be doing it officially under the hood or getting hours for it, but just get the experience behind it. Build your hours that way and build experience that way. So you can be a trusted professional and not just somebody who prints their name on a business card and says, Hey, I'm a ferry pilot. Let me fly across the U S for you. Cause there's a whole lot of people that do that. And you really have to be careful who you're hiring and ask them those questions. But as we do that, we're kind of wrapping it up. So yeah, as always, if, uh, if you want to reach out to us, please reach out to us on Twitter, or Instagram, you can reach me or Carson. Uh, for me, it's at Mr. Martini guy. For Carson, it's at Carson underscore AV17. And of course, you can reach us at our emails, which is probably the best way to get a hold of us nowadays. I'm Brandon at AviationMentors.com. And of course, Carson at AviationMentors.com. Thanks for joining us today, everybody. And as we wrap up, remember, we're here to guide you in your aviation journey. So fly safe and enjoy the ride.